Hello and welcome to another episode of State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Danziel. Happy Tuesday. It was great to be back last Thursday, shaking off the rust and the cobwebs. We've got a lot of rankings we're going to talk about in this episode. But first, I just want to bring up that we're back to where we were when we left off back in March. Was it April? No, we no, we stopped in March. No, it, it was uh, it was March. It should have been April, but uh, Wisconsin had other ideas. Yeah, in a perfect world, it would have been April. But yeah. when we left off, we were on Podomatic's top fifty weekly sports rankings. Thursday, we snuck in and we just cracked the top fifty. We are back in that club, and we're hoping to build off of that. Yeah, I was actually looking at last year's rankings, and it looks like we were we only hit the top 50 once. We were top 75 consistently, but only top 50 once. So first week, we're right back at a top 50. This, this is great. Yeah, this is awesome. It's been fun to get back into this. We're hoping to hit our midseason form. We're getting really close. Yeah. We're getting real close. Still getting warmed up here. Mm-hmm. But we hope you all enjoyed the first episode. It was great to be back in front of the microphone. A lot has happened since we got off the airwaves on Thursday, especially on the rankings front. We're going to unpack that today as well as a key decommitment and some other topics. We'll also answer your Twitter questions later. We got a few good ones, Chris, and I can't wait to get to those. Yes, I I I saw some of the ones in the mailbag. It should be a fun mailbag today. So first off, I want to get to these rankings. As we draw closer and closer to the college basketball season, November 10th, season opener, you're going to start seeing some rankings pop up here and there, some polls and some other stuff. There are a few I'd like to address. The preseason coaches poll was released last Friday. I don't know if you saw them already. I don't know if our listeners out there saw them, but I'm going to give you the top 10 right now. Uh, Number one, Duke. Number two, Michigan State. Number three, Kansas. Number four, Kentucky. Number five, Arizona. Number six, Villanova. Number seven, Florida. Wichita State, North Carolina, and West Virginia round out the top 10. Thoughts? At number six, you, you know, my uh, my Marquette friend, he texted me about the rankings saying Nova was at six, and he's like, "Your thoughts?" My gut reaction, I hate to say it, was we're way too high. I don't know what it is. I just us at six this early with this team. I feel like we've had better teams in the past and have actually had lower rankings. I think we actually looked it up over the weekend. The 15-16 team actually came in lower to start the year. And that team ended up winning the championship. And I feel like there was a lot more talent on that team. But then you, you actually assess it, look at some of the teams, look at look at the talent on, across the nation. And honestly, it, it makes sense. You're pulling teeth at like 6, 7, 8. It doesn't really matter. I feel like we do fall in, into that range. But like I said, gut reaction, I'm like, oh, that's too high. And But honestly, I, I don't really see us being out of the top 10. And like I said, what's the difference between six and eight or nine at this point? And we've learned with our experiences being number one, not being number one, being top five, being top ten. At the end of the day, the rankings, they're fun. They're nice to look at. But I think this team has learned that there are more important things in life now that they've achieved what it's like to be top dog looking down at everybody. So I think we've learned that rankings, they're cool, they're great. But like you said, at first, I was a little apprehensive, but then you look at this, just look at the other teams in the top 10. I think we're better than Florida, Wichita State, North Carolina, and yeah. West Virginia. So it's, it's yeah, not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, and, and then the other four, they just get every top recruit in the nation. So, I mean, obviously, they're going to start off great, but they usually come crashing back down the earth by midseason anyway. I will say that I understand Michigan State brings back Miles Bridges, who is not related to McHale. 
Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't see a reason why they're at number two. Maybe I'm missing something here, but I feel like two is a little high for Michigan State. Yeah, I remember last year when we were assessing the tournament seedings, and we were saying how when they were what were they an eight nine in the past tournament, and we were saying they shouldn't even been in the tournament, let alone, let alone as an eight or a nine. And then, and yeah, they're only returning one key player. Granted, that player is a pretty good one, but I, I just don't understand how. Yeah, that they can be too. I think they're just giving Izzo a throwing Izzo a bone there, to be honest. And I guess the the pollsters are getting bored of not seeing them up there. Duke at number one is no surprise to anybody, especially after Marvin Bagley the third decided to reclassify and commit to Duke. So now that they're just locked and loaded, one ones and dunce. Yeah. Coach K is totally sold out. <laughs> I think yeah, he really has. To, I think their entire starting lineup is going to be one and dones outside of Grayson Allen. I think they're loaded with top five talent. And then once Bagley came, it's just like, oh, well, now you got to give them number one. Yeah, yeah, it it was a foregone conclusion at that point. But even if Bagley didn't reclassify, I still think they're probably one. I don't don't think they were going to put Michigan State or Kansas over them. So just looking at the rest of the top 25, a few more notables. You got Xavier in at 17, another Big East team in Seton Hall at 23. But then we got a few opponents that we're going to see in the non-conference. We have national championship runner-up Gonzaga at 19. We're going to play them at the Garden on December 5th. I'm very excited for that game. Mm-hmm. And also a potential Battle for Atlantis semifinal opponent in Purdue. The Boilermakers come in at 21. Did they lose Swanigan? Yes, yes. He's, a, he's in the NBA. He is in the NBA. All right. And Gonzaga at 19, I feel like. I don't know. I feel like it's might a little be a little generous. There. Might be a yeah. little generous. I think they're just throwing them a bone there as well for making the national championship, which you know, no problem with whatsoever. It's freaking preseason, but they got like I said last week, they got devastated by graduation. As for the rest of the Big East, you also have Butler, Providence, and Creighton. They're all receiving votes. Yeah, to be expected. I, I didn't really think anybody else from the Big East would be right, ranked outside of the top three. I mean. Butler, mm, I still, mm, I don't know what to make of them. Providence, I can see sneaking in at the lower end of the polls in the beginning of the year. And then Creighton, too, I, I feel like it's going to, it will we'll be making noise this year. What surprised me was out of those three Big East teams, I think Butler was like the third one out from the polls. And despite that, yeah. you know, despite coming in at imaginary 28th, that was the eighth ranked team going into the preseason of the Big East polls. So I, I don't know what oh, to expect from yeah. these guys. That's a good point, actually. That's a real good point. Who are the teams that didn't get votes that were actually ranked higher than Butler? St. John's and uh, Marquette. Wow. I would have thought Marquette would have gotten one or two. Yeah, same <laughs> with St. John's. I feel like everyone's been hyping St. John's lately, and it's just they weren't anywhere to be found. Yeah, I th- I feel like they're just waiting for their time to come. Actually, I, I feel like they got to win a couple to get to, for people to actually recognize that you know they're back to relevance again. But I I mean, look, if the number eight team in the Big East is getting is receiving votes, that's a pretty big deal. We'll, we'll even talk about more about how improved the Big East is later. Yeah. So aside from the preseason coaches rankings, there were also the Ken Palm preseason rankings, which I think you saw. It's been making. It's ways around the Villanova world of Twitter and other social media. Yes. The preseason rankings, if you even want to call it that, I I would call it more of like a projection. It's not exact in any way just because mm-hmm. they take stats. It's all based on the end of last year with a little bit of who's coming back this year. We love our Kempom. Mm-hmm. We love our advanced stats and numbers. But it gets more and more accurate as the season unfolds. It's not exactly a sweet science at the beginning of the season. 
Yeah, no, it's it's like it's like in the beginning of baseball season when you got a bunch of teams just playing like five games, small sample size, and like you see one team that's like way in first, and one team that's way in last when it should be the other way around. It's just it's an exact right, especially early on. But this, I, I always use this for evaluating teams to like come tournament time whenever I'm filling out a bracket. Like this is the guy you go to, and this is honestly, I, I wish he his rankings actually mattered instead of you know, a bunch of biased people i would agree with that but that's a story for another that's a story for mark uh yeah we'll 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 save that for tournament time so here's ken pom's top 10 number one villanova number two kentucky number three arizona number four wichita state five kansas number six duke number seven west virginia number eight florida and then Virginia and Michigan State round out the top 10. Now, Villanova at number one. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Uh, <laughs> well, if I thought we were a little too high at six, <laughs> well, I think we're a little too high at number one. But that being said, when you look at it statistically, and Ken Palm is big on defensive efficiency, that's what Villanova is. That's what they're all about, defense. and. If you look at some of the other teams in this poll, well, not poll, but ranking, West Virginia and Virginia, those are two of the better defensive teams, and even Wichita State, I would say. I mean, West Virginia known for their press, Virginia known for their half-court defense. Baylor is highly on defense, but like you see like Kentucky, Arizona, and Duke, like those teams are like high offensive teams, high-flying teams. So, I mean, it kind of offsets their kind of lack of defense, but they still play okay. Us at one, I mean, it's cool. It's really cool to see that. Just don't know what to expect from the people replacing the losses of Josh and Chris Jenkins and Daryl Reynolds. So I'd say yay, but I don't know. What do you say? <laughs> pretty optimistic, <laughs> uh, to say the least. Number one, uh, it's pretty bold. I think it's great if Nova ends up in at least the top five. Right. But like like we've said before, going into this, the Ken Palm rankings and stats, they only get more and more accurate as the season unfolds. And as there's more data to work with, right. things become slowly more exact. The picture starts to get a lot more clearer. Mm-hmm. So until that happens, I'm going to take these Ken Palm rankings with a grain of salt. It's definitely good to know that Villanova is definitely in some elite company, no matter how it may be ranked or what order it might be, right. whether it's one or 10 or five. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're we're gonna hold off on Ken Palm. I will say that he did project Villanova to lose five games in the regular season, and honestly, that sounds like a pretty good number. Yeah, that yeah, we were talking about this before. I I think that's just right about where they should be. So five games regular season, and then it was two out of conference. He said, right? One out of conference. One out of conference. Okay, that's about where I, I had Villanova losing maybe one or two in the out of conference. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean just quick. Looking at the schedule, yeah, one, one, two out of conference. And I expect the Biggies to give them more problems this year just because of the improved teams across the board. Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, Ken Palm, his his rankings went from one to 351. It wasn't just let's give attention to the top teams, top 25. He he went all the way from one to 351. And if you look at the Big East, seven schools are in the top 50. You have Nova at one, Providence at 25, Xavier at 26, Seton Hall 28, Butler at 42, Creighton at 45, Marquette at 49, and St. John's is just outside at 51. This is the most schools that the Big East has had within the top 50 since the conference realigned in 2013. This is really fitting into that the Big East is getting better narrative, isn't it? As it should be. 
I mean, you you got to put it ahead of the Pac-12 at this point. My God, like, what, who is the Pac-12 going to have? Is Oregon even going to be good this year? I don't, I don't think so. Like, UCLA doesn't have a ball brother, so they're irrelevant. But yeah, this is this is phenomenal to see. Like, Providence at 25, and they're just receiving votes. Xavier at 26, Seton Hall 28. These are good teams. These isn't just like, they're not just squeaking in at the bottom. I know Marquette got 49 and Creighton 45, but they're top echelon teams that can make some noise in March. A lot of these teams have given Nova a problem in the past with lesser talent on their rosters. Now they're improving, and I hate to say it, but if they could knock off Nova, that could really improve the conference because these teams can get into the national spotlight. That would be great. Maybe we can afford to lose a game or two every now and then if it means bettering the conference. I mean, I don't know when you really want to trade that off, but that being said, I, I mean, I hope that this is the year that people finally realize that the Big East is a force to be reckoned with. I hate to say it too, but like, I don't think anyone will take the Big East super seriously until you get like a couple teams at the final four. Like I know Nova won the national championship, but I mean, outside of that, we've been pretty soft come March. And I, we've had this discussion in the past as well, but maybe if you can get a Providence in the sweet 16, while Nova and Xavier in the elite eight and Seton Hall, Maybe they're in the Elite Eight, too, or Sweet 16. And maybe Marquette has a nice upset at the 12 seed. Maybe that's when it starts to get rolling. Yeah, as we've seen in the past, it only seems like no matter how many teams we send into the NCAA tournament, only one makes it out of the first weekend. Yep. We'll certainly yep. need to improve on that front, but look at this conference. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. When I heard the news that this conference was realigning that a lot of the marquee big boys in the conference were leaving, and we were going to be left with some schools who were sort of on the rise, didn't really have as rich of a basketball tradition as some of the past members of the Big East. I had my doubts. I had my doubts. Just look at it. The first year that this conference was the quote-unquote new Big East, we only had three teams in the top 50, and now we have seven. I am more than happy to see some more competition. I think it's great. I think it makes the games fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to see more challengers to Nova. Look at it. The Big East tournament has gotten better. Conference play has gotten better. I'm following all the other teams now. It's not just cakewalk anymore. We had the Big East send the highest percentage of teams in any other, out of any of the other conferences last year. It's getting a lot better, and I hope that more and more people will respect it. But like you said, we're going to totally need to step up in March and have some more of those marquee wins. But until then, I, I am all for this higher competition. Summed it up perfectly. Villanova has been running the table for the last three, four years, four years now. Mm-hmm. As we enter this fifth year, Jay Wright's noticing too that it's getting a little more competitive. He was on John Rothstein's podcast yesterday, uh, and he had this to say. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, he did not say that Villanova was like a Fortune 500 company. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> he, he, he didn't, that first question was hey jay how do you feel about your team being a fortune 500 company yeah if, yeah if you if you had to pick one fortune 500 company to compare your team to who would it be and why <laughs> you're going nuts over that jay i'm preparing my tweet deck tweets to uh, automatically schedule which games do you think would be a lock <laughs> gotta get that fortune 500 tweet out before the final buzzer i think he, he i think he strives for that actually He's really on point. He's he gets it literally the second it's second. over before anybody else can say anything. I don't know how he does it, but I I, I don't know the man. Uh, that, that man's got got a lot of things going on. It's a lot a lot of weird things. We we should ask Sackman about that. <laughs> I was actually going to say I have a conspiracy theory. He hires Ryan Sackman to make the Fortune 500 <laughs> on his account. 
Shout out to Psychology. <laughs> VU Hoops Legend. Yes. One of my favorite Twitter accounts. Give them all a follow. But yes, back to Jay Wright yeah. and uh, <laughs> on Big East. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> he said, quote, we're more vulnerable than we've been in regards to the Big East. We're more vulnerable for a number of reasons. First, we're not going to be playing games on the campus at the Pavilion. That's been a great advantage for us. Second, we're not quite as experienced as we've been in the past few years. So two of our biggest strengths recently aren't at the same level that they've been at, end quote. Chris, you told me off wax before podcasting season that you were terrified of the fact that we weren't going to play at the Pavilion and that that would be a game changer, the fact that there would be no Pavilion magic. When you have Jay acknowledging that, does your confidence drop even further? Um, I wouldn't say it drops because I fully expect them to not be as good as home at home this year just because of that. I mean, the fact that Jay's acknowledging it actually is encouraging because he's not going to just go in with blinders and just say, hey, we're going to steamroll everybody this year at home. Yeah, because Pavilion and all that fun stuff. So in, in that regard, no. But I, I do I, – I actually completely forgot that the games aren't at the pavilion this year i don't know i just it's one of those things that just keeps slipping your mind and i think it's not going to take until like halfway through conference play for it to really set in i also like how he he mentioned uh, the team is not as experienced look if he's having an honest assessment of his team that's encouraging to me because then i think he can attack it the right way if he thought that this is just going to be like 2015-16 with arch and chef as seniors and they're just going to lead the team to a championship and all that stuff that would have been terrible that would be a terrible coaching mindset and i think we'd get outplayed every game because of it yeah, we had that crazy pavilion streak that I think we really took for granted. We went from February of our freshman year in 2013 to never experiencing another pavilion loss during our time there. Unfortunately, the streak was broken up last year by Butler. From that point until 2013 to win all of those games, it was automatic. You could bet on the fact that they were going to win. And now it's going to be hard because you look at Wells Fargo Center, you're going to get students to come out on like a Tuesday night for Nickel State. Yeah, no. <laughs> pay pay for septa or drive out there i don't even know some of the other dinky teams that we're going to play at the wells fargo center we're, we're de- we'll definitely show up when it comes to the bigger teams or the the big right. name conference games but some of these non-conference lesser teams it's going to be hard to encourage the people to get out there oh absolutely I mean, I, I think the pavilion streak was kind of aided by quality of competition, too, because you would get the cupcake games and then kind of the lesser Big East games. Any big-time Big East or big-time out-of-conference games were at Wells Fargo. I mean, I don't really remember a big, big pavilion game. Do you? Maybe senior night last year was probably the biggest one, but the streak was over by then. I feel that even going to the Wells Fargo Center, they probably won't need the students to beat Nickel State. <laughs> Maybe like on a Wednesday night against Providence, that's that's a game that usually would be at the pavilion with a raucous crowd, a, a, a raucous student crowd. Sorry, I just can picture the Wells Fargo Center being like half empty, students kind of you know dragging, going through the motions and all. And we know the wine and cheese crowd isn't really going to do much to really get behind the team to begin with. So I and this team is young, so they're probably going to be wanting to feed off energy. So I can definitely see it hurting big time. Yeah, you mentioned how this team's pretty young. It's something that kind of sneaks up on you because I think we've had the luxury of having experienced guys on the bench, or at least experienced in the sense that they know the system, they know what to expect, they know how to go out there and execute. But if you look at this bench, outside of the walk-ons, there are the three freshmen, Dylan Painter, and 
insert any combination of Phil Booth, Dante DiVincenzo, or Eric Pascal, whichever one doesn't start. Mm-hmm. Outside of Painter, who has some experience, I feel like it's pretty unproven. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's very unproven. The bench is basically Phil and a bunch of freshmen. That's what it is. And uh, all right, that's fine. But what if Phil Booth's knee isn't up to 100%? Your your first option off the bench is going to be a, a freshman? That's okay if he's like a five-star recruit. <laughs> I mean, Jermaine Samuels is not like some bum off the street or anything, but he, I feel like he's a very raw player that needs to develop. And honestly, I can see him. I wish you kind of took the Mikael Bridges route and redshirted this year and developed a bit. But he can't because we kind of need him. And I think he'll contribute greatly off the bench this year. But it's not going to be at his best at his max potential yet. I still feel like he's got another year or two to really tap into it. And that's not his fault. It's just, it's just the way college basketball is and how people come out of high school. Th- those first Big East games when you're at Creighton and you're down a couple points and you need a spark off the bench and Jermaine Samuels is your first option. Okay, like that's good, but is he I don't think he's gonna have the mental fortitude to do that or I, I don't know. And like I mean obviously that starters could try and ease him in and all, but I, I I just don't know. But yeah, I mean we'll have more bodies than last year, which is a good thing. That is the positive. At least you'll have three to four options off the bench and it's not one or two. <laughs> so that's the one positive out of it. Yeah, I think Jay Wright's going to need a number of his freshmen to grow up very quickly. We all know that Jay Wright prefers upperclassmen. He likes experienced players, younger players, unless they have the right mindset or talent like a Ryan Archidiakono or Jalen Brunson who can, who have the capability to start right away like that. This is – it's going to be kind of tough because if Phil Booth's knee does act up again, we have <laughs> – <laughs> Dylan Painter, who played, what, less average less than five minutes a game last year? Yeah. And then a bunch of guys who's never played a minute of college basketball. Granted, anything can happen. These guys could be the greatest. You know, they could be amazing off the bench for all I know. Right. But you, you have to be a bit concerned going in that while there is depth, while there are bodies, there's a lot of unproven people out there. It, there's so many question marks. And – that's really something you really can't say about this team in the past couple of years. There was really no question marks going in outside of our freshman year, which was the 2012-2013 season when the team was coming off a horrific year in 2012. Obviously, you had question marks for that because you just didn't know how the team would respond and you had Arch and Chef as freshmen. But other than that, like you kind of knew there was a give. There was a given. Like You knew last year Josh Hart would score a lot. You knew last year that the team would score a lot and play great defense I just don't know what to expect and I think that's a scary part like I can see this team doing great things and I also can see this team floundering at the start and then taking it a while for it to get their feet on their own because they're just not ready so I don't know man <laughs> the, the bench is probably the weakest part and you would have thought that that would be that wouldn't be the case this year especially after a year where they only had one guy coming off the bench last year yeah, we'll certainly have to watch out for it. I mean, right now, according to City of Basketball Love, the starting five is Jalen Brunson at the point, Dante DiVincenzo at the two, Mikhail Bridges, Eric Pascal at the three and four, and then you have Omari down low at the five. And then mm-hmm. that leaves Phil Booth on the bench. Granted, Phil Booth might start. Let's say he starts. Okay, well then, <laughs> that's still just one experienced guy who's been here for a, a few years, plus a bunch of freshmen and Dylan Painter. Yeah, like you said, it's a, it's interchangeable at the top with Dante, Phil, and I guess Pascal if they want to go small. So We'll have to wait and see how that unfolds. We keep an eye on that. 
Another thing we should keep an eye out for is Mikael Bridges might be on the list for some accolades, some more preseason watch lists for the Wildcats. We had Jalen Brunson on the Bob Cousy Award list, but now recent news has broken out and Mikael Bridges is on the Julius Irving Award preseason watch list. Dr. J, given to the best small forward in college basketball. It's only the fourth year that this award has been given out. And it's awarded by the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Stanley Johnson won the first one in 2015. Then you had Denzel Valentine of Michigan State win it in 2016. But most recently, we had Josh Hart win it in 2017. Now, you saw the list of candidates. There's a lot, so we're not going to name them all. Do you think Mikhail can make it back-to-back Wildcats? Uh, no. He's, he's a long, long shot here. But hey, that's that's the name of Daniel O'Neill's book, so anything can happen, I guess. Um, but anyway, yeah, you, you see some of the names on this list, and yeah, you just you just don't see it happening. I mean, Kale's a great player in his own right, but Michael Porter Jr. Like, I'm gonna just rattle off some of like the one and dones, like Michael Porter Jr., Raleigh Al- Alkins, Kevin Knox. I just see them having bigger roles on their team, so like as a result, their stats are gonna be inflated and they'll probably get the award or become a finalist because of that. But I, I feel like Miguel will probably be the best team player. So hooray to that. Also Trayvon Blewett's on the list. I didn't realize he would actually make it for that. Kind of rooting for him in that in that department. Oh, and Miles Bridges too. I mean, he'll, he, he's probably the favorite right now. No. Yeah, it's probably him or Michael Porter Jr. or some one and done. But with Trayvon Blewett, he's dangerous because he's the kind of guy that can just drop 40 on you or he'll just like be quiet. Yeah. We, we saw his uh, drop 40 ability in the tournament. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, he went he, off. He, he made sure. Hasn't really happened against Nova, but he went off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Xavier was in a free fall and barely made the tournament. And then, yeah, they just get one of the best performances <laughs> I've seen in a while from one, from one player, single-handedly carrying him to the Elite Eight. Last episode, we noted how there wasn't a preseason exhibition game and that we would have to wait until November 10th when the Wildcats play Columbia in the season opener to finally see them in action at least publicly. But all that has changed. We will finally be able to see Mikhail Bridges, the Dr. J Award candidate, and Brunson, the Bob Cousy Award candidate, as well as the rest of the Cats, in public on November 1st. The women's basketball team, as well as the men's team, are having a doubleheader at Jake Nevin Fieldhouse to help fundraise for Puerto Rico hurricane relief. The women's team originally had an exhibition game scheduled against East Stroudsburg, but then the men's team tagged along, and they're going to have a game right after theirs where they'll take on Drexel. Do you love this idea? Isn't it great to see the NCAA like come up with this? Finally, you know, they're like, <laughs> we'll allow a third exhibition game if you do it for charity. This is, must be one of the best ideas the NCAA has come up with. Yeah, they, they needed some good PR after their recent debacles. So, yeah, it, it, uh, it helped. But yeah, no, this is a great idea. And the fact that it's Drexel, which I guess is technically – is it a Philly – it's technically a Philly school, right? I mean, I, I know it's not part of the Big Five or anything, but – It's a part of the, the City Six, which is the intramural league, which is basically the Big Five plus Drexel. A lot of people asked when I told them I went to Villanova, they would always be like, oh, Drexel's in the Big Five, right? And I'm like, no, it's not, but – it's good to see two relatively close schools getting together for a good cause and to actually get some basketball work in while you're at it. And it's at Jake Nevin, so that's cool too. I think the more of the cats you can get us on campus as much as possible, the better it would be for everybody involved. Wells Fargo Center is great. 
but it's also a check for these students. Yeah, it is. I mean, and, and Jake, Jake Nevin's got that old uh, throwback feel to it with like the open stage at one end. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just I find that pretty cool, actually. If we can just get our hands on the archives, dig deep, and just find some old game tape of what games looked like back then, oh, yeah. yeah, I would love to. I would love actually love to just watch an old game. Yeah, me too. Actually, I've watched the old '85 NCAA tournament games because they just happen to have them on there. And it's just a whole different game. But, like, those are in, like, actual arenas. Like, I, I haven't been able to come across, like, a game that was actually played at Jake Nevin. Yeah, I've only heard various stories from dedicated alumni and diehard nationers. But us millennials, man, never we'll never know about the good old days. So let's send out a request to all our listeners. If you actually have game tape, yeah. <laughs> please. If, if you can convert the film reel into <laughs> an MP4 file that I can play on my phone or my computer, that would be ideal. Yeah, please tweet it at View Hoops or, or Eugene or mine account. <laughs> it would be great. I'm very excited for this game. It's following the suit of Kansas, Missouri. Many schools have hopped on this trend. It's a very good trend. I mean, so far, it seems to be doing very well. Can- the Kansas-Missouri border war raised just over $1.75 million. Holy crap. They're they're actually generating cash for a great cause. And, and this is basketball you're talking about. This isn't just the football game they decided to break out. This is an actual basketball game. One point seven five million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Wow. No, well, good for them. I guess when you have the draw of, that Kansas does, and I guess the hype that Missouri now has because they got Michael Porter Jr. I guess. Yeah, I guess they'll do it. Once again, it'll be on November first. Got to be excited to see that. I mean, you know, you just get to see your cats in action before the real deal begins. And also, you raise some money for a good cause. I heard the tickets are going on sale for about $30, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. So it's not bad. You get two games, watch them, will help a worthy cause, get to see the cats, root on your team. It's going to be great. Is it students only? I think it's season ticket holders. Like, you, you know the deal. You know the deal. It's okay. a, there, there's, there's a hierarchy. Let's just say uh, there's, there's a you. chain of command. I got you. No, because I, I saw that the one Jake Nevin game they're actually having on uh, during the regular season, students only. So that's the only reason why I asked. All right, that makes sense. Some football news before we get into the fan questions. Yesterday in the CAA weekly coaches teleconference, Mark Ferrante announced that he will be going with true freshman Kyle McCloskey as starter at quarterback. So, Chris, will you be there this Saturday when Mr. McCloskey makes his first career start in front of a homecoming crowd? If if I can get back it, down there in time, I got to work Saturday, but I will be racing to at least get the homecoming to get what I can out of it. And if it means going to the football game, I will be there. But yeah, so I guess it's good that McCloskey's going because Jack Shetlich, uh, not exactly the best go around for him so far. Just through five games, he's been 11-37 passing for 135 yards and two touchdowns and then six picks to go on top of that to compound a even more dreadful start. I mean, you feel bad for the kid, redshirt freshman, so it's not exactly like you don't expect him to light the world on fire, but at the same time, you expect a little bit of better performance. So, yeah, I guess going with McCloskey makes sense. Two of seven, 15 yards, a touchdown and a pick so far on the season for him in limited action, and he's actually more of a runner. 16 carries, 43 yards. You got to go with what's, what you think can work, because if you're going to go with what hasn't been working with Chetlich, I mean, you got to make a move at some point, and you know Bernardzik's still hurt, so I don't know when he's coming back. Would have been nice to see him play at homecoming, just because you know he's from my area, so that would have been cool. But I, it is what it is, and you just hope that Klasky plays good enough to eke out a win, because this, this team needs a win after that JMU bashing. Yeah, he got thrown into the dogs out there against the Dukes on College Game Day against the number one team in FCS. He came in in the second half in relief of Shetlich, 
didn't really light the world on fire. But you know what? I think he got to change things up. He got some great juju in there. Fronte liked the fact that he moved the ball a little bit better. And so, you know what? Ride the wave. Ride the wave. I can't wait to see what he does. He's going to be in front of his friends and family, I'm sure, going to be at this game. He's going to play on homecoming. This is as big as if I'm a college true freshman, I got to be ants for this. I am so pumped for this. Get to play for your team. Get to play for your crowd. You get to, you get to start. It's going to be really exciting. I can't wait to see what he does. It'll be great to see the local kid do well for his local college. And we'll see what happens. They're going to take on Elon at 3.30 p.m. I'll be there. I'll be watching. And I'll be excited to sample the adult beverages at the new stadium. <laughs> yeah, I heard that's a thing now. I, I actually can't believe that. Well, they're not making – you can't drink outside anymore. So no. Yeah, they, they ruined the tailgate. But you know what? I, I can't wait to sample their wares. <laughs> you might as well. I was actually going to rush down to actually get there in time for the tailgate. And then when I heard there was no tailgate, it was just, it's just very disappointing. Yeah, my heart kind of broke in half. Not yeah. <laughs> it was so fun last year. I know you couldn't make it, but it was so uh, much fun. I know. I know. But at least at least after it was fun. After, after it was fun. But I know the tailgate's like the main thing. So to see that not happening is just pretty sad. So some fan questions. Break over the mailbag. We got a few today. First one is from... Our good old friend, Chris Lane. First time, long time. Best bromance <laughs> on the team. Ooh. Um, well, <laughs> on the current team, because <laughs> I have one for, uh, for two years ago pretty easily. Oh, who you got for two years ago? Uh, uh, Phil Booth and Daniel Chefu. I, I, I feel like there was barn on nothing else better. Frickin' frack at its finest. Oh, but yeah, they were, they were hilarious together. Seeing them walk around, and they were always around each other. It was funny. Yeah, they were yeah, hanging was... around. I remember one time at Second Story, they were just hanging out. Them two. A uh, chef comes in with a box of popums. He doesn't even open it like the real way. He just like ripped it open from the side and just like ate out of it like a box of popcorn. <laughs> when you're in the starting center of a uh, top five team, you might you can do whatever you want. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, who um, needs to open it horizontally when you can open it vertically? Right. But I, I hear you have an actual bromance on the on the current team. Oh, yeah. For this current team, it's definitely Eric Pascal and Dante DiVincenzo. Those guys go together like Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. It's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. They're electric. I see them together at Cafe Nova. They're hanging out. Dante's from Delaware, but he tries to fit in and say he's from Yonkers. Eric's from Dobbs Ferry. It's great. It's fantastic. Those guys are always hanging out. It's awesome. They're hilarious together. Yeah, when you equated them to uh, white men can't jump, I was just like, oh my god, that's perfect. But I never see. I've never. I, I mean, obviously, you can attest to it more than I can. But I, I haven't seen. I never saw them like together. I never would have pictured that as a bromance. But then you you were laying out the examples. I was like, all right, I guess you're right. Yeah, every time I've like seen Eric on campus or just you know running into him, he was always with Dante. And they're always up to some sort of antics, whether it was ordering stuff from the corner grill or mm-hmm. just going to Cafe Nova or just chilling in second story. I don't know. I just felt like they're always around each other. And they're always they're, – they're, they're great. They're fun to talk to. They're, they're real jokesters. I think it's because Dante redshirted that year and Eastman was out because of the transfer. So I feel like they – Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's when it all began. I think that's when it all began. Yeah. And you were – and you know it. Pascal from, you know, being from the same town as him. So 
Yeah, I got a, I got a story. I'll probably share it another time. I mean, you've heard the story, but there's yeah, gonna be a lot of people who've never heard the story. <laughs> oh, I, I can't wait for you to tell it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, my my friend, shout out to Habib. He's got an even better story with <laughs> Eric Pascal. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that that might have to be uh, off off the. Yeah, that might that might have to be off wax, but, but I think it's outside the statute of limitations because they were both in middle school at the time. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Habib. <laughs> we should get him on as like a just as a quick guest. To yeah, just to tell that story and then he uh, can go away. Fate of the Nova Nations, Villanova related. I can do it. Uh, second question. Oh <laughs> this one's from Yerky. Will we feature Pascal or Double D more offensively this season? Figuring Omari and Brunson will get theirs. Ah, oh, speaking of the bromance. I know, right? It was it was perfect. Um, will we feature Pascal or Double D more offensively? I feel like Dante. Uh, yeah, you know, actually, you know, I do think both of them will have an increased role in the offense, just because I, I just, they just, they're filling in for the guys that left. Theoretically, Dante's going to be taking Josh's spot, and Pascal's going to be taking Chris Jenkins' spot. Now, I know I, that they, they played two completely different games than their predecessors, but I, they will get their shot at on offense, and I feel that I was saying in the last episode that Eastman's going to get his due inside because he's going to be like. Pretty much not the only inside presence, but he's going to be the one working inside. And Dante, I, I feel like the offense is going to flow through him more, whether we like it or not. I feel that Jay has a lot of trust in him, especially after the way he closed last year. So, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see them taking on an expansive offensive role. Now, there might be some growing pains along with that. Uh, hopefully, Pascal's working on his long-range shot uh, over the offseason. But, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that. I did hear that he has been working on his three-pointer. I swear to everybody – in high school, he used to be lights out, no matter, like, even 10 feet beyond the arc. That might be exaggerating a little bit, but he would make them at a consistent rate. Don't know what exactly happened on his way to college. Right. But with that said, I think we're going to see a lot more Dante DiVincenzo, just because we're guard you. Like, yeah, yeah. Jay Wright's got that, that guard bias, which is fine. I mean, the offense runs through the guards. It's whatever. They'll both get theirs. They're both going to get an uptick in playing time and whatnot. But I do think... At the end of the day, DiVincenzo will get more burn on offense. I think one thing that will be interesting, though, will be watch what happens when Eric Pascal is paired with, like, Omari Spellman, where he's not the main five or the main, like, big man. Just see how he plays off the other big men, and I think that'll be pretty interesting to watch, as opposed to playing the Warriors lineup where he's a six-foot Seven, I guess he's six foot nine now, apparently, yeah. <laughs> allegedly, um, at center. So that would be interesting to watch. But I, to answer the question, I think it would be a lot more Dante. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point, actually, about Eric Pascal. I, I didn't think of it like that. He's never really had a, a big man alongside him to like really flourish and to like help him. Third question. This is the big one. We were going to make this its own section, but then when we saw it was going to be in the in the fan questions, we were like, you know what? We're going to save this. Scott Pouillet. I hope I pronounced that right. Pouillet. Will Jay Wright pursue Javon Quinterly? Yeah, Everybody we'll gather around for some story time. Yeah, yeah, let's go through the backstory first. <laughs> I know that there are a lot of people who aren't exactly familiar with recruiting or they don't follow the high school scene as much as some of the other people do until the guy gets signed. But this is a pretty wild story. This is a pretty wild goose chase. So for everyone who's not familiar, th there's this guy named Javon Quinterly. He's a consensus five-star point guard. He's a top 25 prospect in the class of 2018, and he plays at Hudson Catholic. I don't know how far that is from you or if you've heard of that school, but it's in oh. Jersey. Oh, we, we've heard of it. It's a good 20, 25 minutes from me. Oh, okay. Wow, that's, that's pretty close. Yeah. Quinterly, I got to see him back in April at UAA. 
when I was scouting for City Basketball Love. And I will say he's a perfect Villanova guard. I think he would fit in very well. I know Chris Lane and I, we were both on the Quinterly bandwagon. He possesses a great shooting stroke. He can drive inside. He's very smooth on the court. He has great poise and the high basketball IQ. He sees the floor well. He's a great passer. It's just his game, I don't want to, you know, it's, I hate making comparisons, but his game reminds me a lot of Jalen. Just very smooth. Smooth is the word that comes to mind. Anyways, Villanova had been in the race for a long time. They got involved early. The Wildcats, for a long time, were said to be a front runner. And he, you know, he said that he really liked the school. Jay Wright, great relationship, etc. He visits Arizona in late June. And all of a sudden, the picture flips upside down. Reports and rumors are saying that he wanted to commit right then and there to Sean Miller and his staff. And that he really loved Arizona, whatnot. But obviously, he doesn't commit then. Holds off, and all of a sudden, the crystal balls, for whatever they're worth, start flipping towards Arizona. In August, he commits in the middle of the Stephen Curry Under Armour SC30 Select game, narrowed it down to Villanova and Arizona that morning, and he picks Arizona on August 8th. So, where does it get crazy? Well, in light of the recent craziness that has shaken up college basketball in terms of players getting money, some shady recruiting going on, bribes, whatnot, the FBI investigation, he's actually involved in it. He's actually, he's not directly named. But you don't have to be the Hardy Boys to figure out, or Nancy Drew to figure out who's being <laughs> identified here. Like they, the report, the report narrows it down to quote a top point guard that committed around three days before August 11 to Arizona. He was on ESPNU on August 8th during that game where he said that he committed to Arizona. Like it, it just spells <laughs> it out right there. He apparently he. Accepted about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. So even though he's not directly named, he's involved somewhat. He decommitted from Arizona, and when Villanova's the only school that he really had a relationship before the whole Sean Miller stuff came in, and his staff, it kind of you know it's been a hot topic. Should Villanova pursue? Does Jay Wright pursue? I'll ask you this, Chris. Let's just say he's eligible. Yeah, he's, he's clear. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's okay. He's able to play the first year he arrives on campus. Should, does Jay Wright pursue Quinterly? Does Jay Wright go after him? I don't know if he does, but I, I would want him to. I mean, just imagine if, let's just say Jalen decides the bolt at the end of the year and Quinterly comes in and you can stick him right in there. It would be great. And let's say, all right, Phil's knees fully healthy by then so then you have a starting point guard but then so then you can either groom Quinterly in uh for the first year or you can or you can start him in the starting lineup if, if Phil's not fully healthy that would be great that would be like a nice little Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers transition type of thing right there you know it it would be seamless in my opinion I think the kid's a great player it's just I yeah he comes kind of sullied and and dirty in that respect but it's not like he like harmed anyone. It's not like it's not the end of the world. He didn't commit like a well, no, I guess he did commit a crime, but it's not like a physical crime. I don't know. I guess like the harming of others would be more detrimental than just accepting money. I mean, you don't know what his situation is and whatever. I'm not giving him an excuse for doing it, but because he's kind of dirty in that respect, like I guess that might be the reason why Jay backs off. But at the same time, I don't know if Jay would really give a crap. 
<laughs> if he's looking to build a team and and to build the put the best team out there, why why not? And if he severely fears that Jalen's gonna leave after this year, regardless of how good he does in, in the tournament or regardless of how he does this year, why why not go after him? He was your guy, and outside of twenty thousand dollars, he was your guy. It was the only reason why he probably went there. So why not go after him? What like what's the harm? I will preface with I'm not Jared, so I don't know what what is going on. I don't know what other information he might have that's not available to the press or the public. I don't know if he's spoken equitably. But if there's one thing, I do trust Jay's judgment when it comes to evaluating players. We all know that he wants the high-quality guys, the high-character guys for Villanova, but you can't ignore his talent. And at the same time, right. I feel like Jay's pretty – he's a smart guy. If Quinterly is cleared and he is eligible to play, I'm sure Jay will assess the situation. And if it's worth whatever might – what baggage might come with it or if, you know, he totally, like, clears him and gets his side of the story because, like you said, we don't know his financial situation at home. We don't know if his parents were pressuring him to accept the money. We don't know. When you're 16 years old right. and you still live under your parents' roof and all of a sudden someone throws wads of money at you, it's going to be pretty hard, right. especially when they say we can help you get away with it because I'm sure this has been going on for other people too. Exactly. It's not like he's like a full-grown adult making a conscious decision. It, he's he was, he's been, Yeah, what did you say, 16, 17 years old? Yeah. I, I fully agree with you. Someone must have been pressuring him. You know what? You learn from it. He's still young. It's not like like, like he's not like a man. <laughs> like if you like if he was like thirty making this decision, he would be like, okay, that's probably indicative of his character. But he's still maturing, still growing, and I feel that if Jay does get a, his reign on him, he'll be fine. If Jay decides to not go with him, I'll totally understand and respect. If he does go with him, here's what I will say to the listeners and the people who don't think that he would be worthy of being in the Villanova program. Villanova's forgiven before. You mentioned, Chris, earlier that he didn't physically harm someone. Well, I can name someone who actually did physically harm someone and was a wildcat and graduated with a degree and enjoyed a pretty good career after that incident. And his name's Javon Pinkston. Javon Pinkston, his freshman year, decides to be a boxer, put someone in the hospital, gets suspended from campus and from the team. He comes back, turns himself around, becomes a contributing member of this team, helps the turnaround. We were in the doldrums of college basketball in the Big East that 2011 to 2012 season, and he helps us to a Big East title his senior year. He helps. He puts us right back on the map. He's a part, he was a part of that. He was a contributing member of that. Uh-huh. He became beloved. And you know what? People weren't saying when it was all said and done, he punched a kid his freshman year. He yeah. put a kid in the hospital. I, I forgot that happened. Yeah. I didn't. It wasn't first thing that came to mind when I thought about Javon Pinkston. I thought about a man who he grew up from it. He learned from his mistake. He became a pretty good basketball player on the court, helped the Wildcats. He did what you would hope a, a good basketball player would do. Yeah, no, you you nailed it. You're exactly right. I I completely forgot myself, and I've been following Donald since 2005. Like I like I I make sure every move I I try to document or whatever. I always make sure. I'm keeping on top of things. And that was like, that's one thing that completely flew under the radar. Yeah. Like you said, his senior year, he was a beloved member of the Villanova community. <laughs> like he freaking, he wanted to play Michael Tyson punch out with someone like, come on. So w- what's the difference between that and accepting a bribe? I, I, I feel like, I feel that Javon's offense is much, much, is much worse. Villanova's forgiven before. And let's say Quinnally comes, he balls out for Villanova, picks up a conference title. 
or whatnot helps us become a 21 team or whatever, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would forget, especially if he's performing well on the court. Yep, you're exactly right. Now, on the flip side, if he's doing bad, then everyone will be the, the be quick to point out the whole bribe thing, and they'll be like, oh, that's on his mind. That's why he's not doing well. But, and, I mean, cross that bridge when you get there. No. <laughs> and he'll definitely get his fair share of ridicule and whatnot, but I'm sure, Absolutely. you know, I'm sure all the other schools have, like, NC State posters somewhere. It's funny because our, our next question is actually from another fellow. It's from a good friend and former VU hoopster, Matthew Gregory. Oh, is, Sanborn. Yes, Sanborn. His Twitter name is actually stylized as Batchu Gregory. <laughs> Everyone's putting on those, like, Halloween puns in their names. Nothing works for Eugene Rappet, unfortunately. <laughs> But his question is, was JVP the true center? <laughs> I, sure. sure. <laughs> if, if you want. If you want him to be. I don't, I don't get the question. <laughs> this is, I guess, it's a Sanborn question. I feel like Tom Shea also had a hand in this. Um, no, he was, a, he was a power forward. Jeff was the true center. Sorry. No, he was the true center in Villanova's guard you offense in which Jay got his dream of putting – Four guards on the table with one questionable stretch wing as the five. Okay. So, yes, I guess he is the true <laughs> Shout out to Matt Gregory. Yes. Last question. Does Jay intend to get a point guard to sign for 2018 or will he concentrate on 2019 for this position? This is from Ramon Usategi. I hope I pronounced that right. I will say, I've said it before, I think the prospects of getting a point guard in 2018 are looking so bleak unless if Villanova scoops up one of these decommits that were a part of these schools that were a little, had some shady business going on. I mean, we saw a couple guys decommit from Louisville. One guy did from Auburn. Obviously, we have Quinterly on the table. I think the window is closing down. On a quality point guard, I'm sure there are many three-star guys out there. But honestly, I can see Jay waiting until 2019. It's going to be pretty unfortunate because it's kind of gambling in that we're going to, you know, it's like procrastinating, waiting until the last minute to get your work done, and you hope that it's all still there mm-hmm. <laughs> or that you can pull it off. Um, but, it, yeah, uh, unfortunately, this whole quarterly thing had to go down the way it did because I think – if Arizona didn't put 20000 in his face, we would be talking about how he's going to make an immediate impact at Villanova and would be another great point guard. You know, no worries. Even if Jalen leaves, Villanova will be great. If Jalen stays, we'll be stacked with him, Phil Booth, Gillespie, and Quinterly, or whatever elite five-star point guard comes in this year. But unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm still going to stick with my guns and say that Jay Wright and Villanova will have to wait until next year to get it done. Yeah, no, I, I would have to agree with you on that. I just, yeah, like, other than the three-star guys, I don't see anything really happening. That's all the mail we have for today. Once again, you can always tweet us your questions, anything you want discussed on the show. Tweet us at Hoops at my Twitter account or at Chris's account. Someone will find it. The mailman will get it to us. <laughs> The Postal Service never fails. Maybe never is a strong word, but they do a pretty good job. Yeah, they do all right. 
And we, we, we emphasize anything. Like, it doesn't have to always be uh, a Villanova-specific question. Like, if you want us to recast the uh, 2015-16 team as the Avengers, like, we'll do it. Like, we don't, we don't care. Quick question. Which one would Arch be? Oh. Uh, which one's the villain again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Trying not to start an angry lunch mob. Uh, I, I don't know, actually. Your Maybe mentions are going to blow up tomorrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. I guess you'd be Captain America. Uh, yeah. No, it would be. Before we sign off, we're just going to run through all the other things that happened at Villanova. This was a pretty good weekend in sports for the Wildcats. First off, swimming and diving. They participated in the Philadelphia Relays over at Drexel over the weekend. Darby Goodwin, the official swimmer of the State of the Nova Nation podcast, broke three Drexel pool records, did so in the 100-meter fly, 200-meter back, 100-meter back. She's fantastic. She's still going to have a reign of terror on the Big East. And I think it should be another good year for the swimming team. This was their first bit of action. Yeah, you had Alexa Fabry, Caitlin Today, and Ryan Jarzak. They also broke some records as well. So, yeah, good to see uh, the swim team still keeping it up and Darby Goodwin still breaking records and making headlines. And field hockey after they lost last Friday to Old Dominion, 3-2 to in double overtime. They bounced back with a win on senior day. On Sunday versus Ryder, winning three to two, also in overtime. Yeah, this is a this is a bit of a streak they're on for senior day. I remember last year we were talking about uh, they beat uh, Georgetown last year on their senior day, three to two as well. That was another intense match, and I can't believe it's senior day already for field hockey. It's freaking freaking October twenty fourth. Hey, it's it's about to be homecoming for football. Oh, I know, but I don't know. I feel like senior day signifies like the end of the season. <laughs> It's weird in college. I've noticed it's it's weird. It's like there's still games to be played, you know? Yeah, yeah no, I know. Wow. Women's soccer lost two tough games since we went off the airwaves. They lost to St. John's 2-1 to one on Thursday, and then DePaul 6-3 to three on Sunday. Quick question. If it's a women's team, do you still refer to like a St. John's women's team as the Johnnies, or is it only Red Storm or St. John? Great question. We should email them. We should email their PR guy. Yeah, we should or find their, their Mike Sheridan, their equivalent Mike Sheridan. Yeah, we, we gotta, these are the hard-hitting questions we ask at the State of Innovation. We will find out by, by the end of the year. Don't worry. Men's soccer lost 1-0, as they say in soccer, 1-0 to Butler in a rematch of last year's Big East Tournament semifinal game. Butler's goalie is named Eric Dick. Do I need to say more? Wow, you're a child. I'm sure that kid went through enough bullying in preschool and kindergarten and middle school and high school, and I'm sure it's still going on today. And you, We just have to bring it the extra mile. Oh, yeah, that is freaking hilarious. I can't. That is, <laughs> that is so funny. Men's soccer will get a chance to bounce back at St. John's tomorrow night. Men's soccer is one game below 500. Hopefully they'll get to equalize things against a team that is also 500. Women's volleyball swept Georgetown on Saturday, improving the record to 14-7. and seven. They're currently in third place in the Big East. You know we got a soft spot for the volleyball team after that great 2015-16 run on the show. We hope that they can probably do something again. I mean, right now it's the top four teams 
advance to the Big East tournament. They're in third place. Butler's in hot pursuit, but they can hang on. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, no. Hopefully, we could ride another wave. That that was fun in fifteen sixteen. Even like other students, we were we were friends with. Like we're picking up on it too. The whole volleyball thing. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on them as well as all the other Villanova sports teams. We'll preview some stuff for next time as we are closer to the weekend. But for now, thank you for listening to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, or on Podomatic. Also, be sure to check back on our website at viewhoops.com. We got the news updates. We got the sports. We're talking football, men's basketball, women's basketball right now. We're rolling through our previews and some pretty good content in the next coming weeks. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at View Hoops, like our page on Facebook. And you can also follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Anzial, at the Sandsman on Twitter. Nova Nation, happy Tuesday. We'll be back at it on Thursday.